Hello, lovelies. Another beautiful episode of the podcast coming at you fresh out of the oven. Um, today we have Aaron Stoller, PhD in ecology on the show. I know Aaron for a long time. His father was actually like my first job thing that I ever had in my life. So we, we know each other since high school. We talk about all sorts of incredible fun stuff like how to change our society for the better. What What is ecology? And is there something called space ecology? I want to go to Mars a little bit, I think. A liquor store is a greenhouse. You know, Aaron knows a lot about plants and botanicals and how. So we talk a lot about that and kind of humanity's use of that um, to get tipsy. We talk about the homogenization of, of species, the mixing of species. We talk about Jersey beaches, um, blazing saddles, how to stop jumping to the negative, how to, you know, how to brew banana beer or what the hell banana beer is. A beautiful poem by David Foster Wallace. Um, the And then we have an awesome hot tip in terms of a Connecticut IPA. And we actually teleport to the French catacombs. And we talk a little bit about my middle name. Aaron really can say my last name so well. It's impressive. Without further ado, strap on. Let's go. The Data Apollo is here. If you need data, call Data Apollo. Sponsored by you the listener have fun all right ladies and gentlemen we're here with another episode of the podcast uh with my good friend aaron stoller blast from the past ecology phd we're going to talk about all sorts of fun stuff how you doing Aaron? welcome to the show thanks for having me pavel um it is hot out here today i don't know what's the weather like in where you at new jersey it's 80 degrees. It's 80 degrees. Also hot. It's summertime now. Um, I got to say, we're living in a kind of a crazy world right now. So between uh, coronavirus pandemic, which, you know, my money is far from over, and all of this crazy stuff going on um, in terms of, I mean, police brutality, and, you know, I'm, I'm discovering, you know, more and more how there's like systemic problems uh, in our communities and in our government against black people specifically. I just want to say, um, I hope it changes. I mean, that's my word on it. And, you know, get educated, do your best to help affect change. It's easy for me to kind of sit here and not do anything. So I'm, I'm trying to motivate myself to say, okay, you know. Let, let's do something. Anyway, that's my that's my public service announcement. I think you can do something about it. Like what? You know, I mean, I when I t- tell my students that I don't, I don't think that I alone can change the environment. Like I can't fix climate change. I can't stop pollution. I can't stop everybody in Philadelphia or San Diego from dropping trash on the streets. And I don't think that any single person can do that as much as I don't think any single person can um, stop police brutality. And I don't think that protests do much either. What does it is when we all start saying the same thing 
more and more, and it just becomes the rhetoric of the time. So, you know, when you think about what happens when you log on to Facebook or when you log on to um, Reddit or Instagram or something, you know, you you follow things that are of your own interest. And so you're more likely to see ideas and thoughts that are in tune with the way that you think. Okay. Well, what we need to do is to stop following the things that we are personally interested in and stop only commenting in an echo chamber and instead just start listening to other people and educate the broader public and just say shit. We just need to say stuff to them. We don't need to have a protest. We don't need to enact a law. We just need to start saying it over and over and over and over again. Because that's how things really change is not when there's a law enacted, but when things become so commonly heard among people that nobody doubts it anymore. It's kind of like the idea of um, um, pesticides are bad, right? There's actually no evidence that pesticides are really that bad or most pesticides are that bad for humans. There's a few, there's a little evidence that atrazine or-, or What about or DDT? Isn't DDT bad? I think I could, can is you there, hear my, wait, is there feedback here? No, okay. no evidence that DDT is bad for, for humans, but I know it. There's a lot of evidence that DDT is bad for the environment, it's bad as accumulates, but we don't have good evidence that DDT does anything to humans. Huh. Well, I'm all about, I mean, I, I see your point. You're kind of saying like, listen, if we want things to change, it's, we all have to be talking about what's wrong. And, and I mean, I think when you have stuff that's on the streets, when it gets people's attention, that that's how people start talking about it. I mean, I mean, yeah, my own experience, I wouldn't be reading and learning about this stuff if this stuff wasn't happening. Right. Well, so, I mean, what you need to do is just, re-communicate what you see and you hear to not just people who share your the same ideas but to everybody like you need to get in people's Facebook you don't need to be confrontational right but you need to make the ideas heard and so that's why I teach that's why I'm an educator is because I get up in front of a class and I'm just talking I'm just saying what they need to hear mm -hmm. and my idea is like I I have to give them exams and whatnot I have to test them on stuff but I don't really care about all that stuff because in the end of the day all I want I want to get in the back of their head right like I want them to flip on the radio to radio no one listens to radio I want them to flip on a podcast or something two years down the road and all of a sudden I just pop up in the back of their head like they recall something I did or said in the middle of class like to me, that's achievement because I got in their head. And I think that that's what, that's how you make change. Like you get into people's heads. You just say something outlandish. You say something that's totally against the grain to get in somebody's head and then they can't forget about you. And then more and more, they change their own ideology. Interesting. No, I mean, I totally agree. So let's talk about, what's, what's the B in Aaron B. Stoller? Baba Ganoush. Let's talk about Aaron Baba Ganoush Stoller. <laughs> um, it's Brian, so I mean, but with a Y. What is it? Is Brian it, with a Y. Oh, 
That's your middle name? Yeah. Um, you decided to become an educator. You, I mean, I was reading about your bio. It sounds like you were doing all these different things in like undergrad, trying to figure out what you want to do. And then I think I had the great pleasure of uh, driving you. At, we drove together to Pittsburgh to get you, you know, into, you know, when you first moved there for your, I didn't realize it was the PhD at the time. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, that was crazy with the cat people. Oh my God, the cats that had to like sleep on me. That was rough. You know, <laughs> I'm still pretty good friends with him. He's, uh, <laughs> he and I just spoke the other day, actually. He, um, he, he broke up with that girl. Were the cats yeah. hers? Yeah, the cats okay. were hers. I mean, the backstory is that I end up, I just, me and you, we try to move you to a new place, but we don't have uh, keys to the new place. So we end up staying at your buddy's place, but the buddy has two cats. And I, I just, I wake up in the middle of the night with a cat sitting on my face. I'm allergic. It was, <laughs> it was I was scared for my life. It was great. It was in a it was in a studio apartment too. So he and his girlfriend were sleeping in a bed in the same room. Oh, they were in the same room as us? They were in the same room. It was a studio apartment. I mean that's what it was. I believe you. Anyways, was, look at us now. It was bad. Like Did drove four hours to get to a place, found out that we couldn't get in, and then didn't know what to do, but then it, I, we, I remembered at the very last minute that I had this buddy of mine in, in Pittsburgh, and we stayed at his place. That's right. That's what happened. <laughs> Did you, you applied for a PhD program, and you were going there, University of Pittsburgh? Yeah. And yeah. what was the program in? Well, it was biology. Biology, ecology. Yeah. I did, an, I did an internship with the guy that I did my PhD with. I did an internship with him when I was an undergraduate, and um, I, I just really liked it. So I, I applied to a few places. I, I applied to UMBC, uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and then I applied to um, Rutgers, Virginia Tech. And I mean, University I'm glad that you applied to all these great schools, but you got into Pitt, and, which was a good school itself. And... Yeah. How was that experience? How was going to grad school, um, on, you know, doing a lot? I'm assuming you had to do some like, hands-on research. You met some smart people. Do you recommend more people go to grad school? No. No? Why not? You know, it's not for everybody. everybody. I mean, it, it's, it's just not for everybody, you know. There's, it, it's a, it takes a lot of patience, and it's not – you're not making money. Like, you're making – minimum wage for a while and no one tells you what to do and no one no one tells you what to do and everybody tells you that you're doing the wrong thing at the same time so that sounds like a uh, wonderful way to live yeah (laughs) and i mean you do that for five years five to six years until people stop telling you that you're doing it wrong and they start saying well we don't know what you're doing so i'll assume that you're doing it right that's hilarious. But like, not, not for you though, right? I mean, people always understood, like your mentor, your advisor always understood what you were doing. I mean, he and I had a really great connection, so he, he helped me. But no, he always told me I was doing stuff wrong or that I wasn't doing enough. And I mean, 
I, I had a, I had a really nice work relationship, but also a really nice friendship with him that we kept separate. So I knew that he was, how do you do that? How do you keep that separate? That seems, I mean, that's tough. It was, it's just the way that he operates. Um, You know, we I knew, I knew that he was looking out for my, my own good. Um, And he would invite me over for dinner. I would go and just have some beers with him and his wife and his kids. And, um, you know, we talk about nothing work related. And the next day we'd be in work and we'd be talking about how I fucked up. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. I mean, I think that's a, it's, I find it difficult to separate the two. And I, and I kind of, when I work with people or professors or whatever, like any kind of those relationships, I lean heavy into friendship and then it can kind of sometimes get difficult to deliver the bad news, you know, Hey, you're not, you're fucking up or, you know, it's not going well. So I think, oh, that's why I asked, I'm curious how you, how, and it sounds like you just kind of just keep it separate and keep a good. Well, I mean, in, in academics, I think that there's, there's a lot of name calling. There's a lot of criticisms that go on, but ultimately I think most people, there's not, a tremendous amount of infighting because everybody is their own expert. That's what getting a PhD kind of makes you as an expert in your own field that nobody else is an expert in. So like, I can't really criticize anyone of not doing a good job because I don't really know what it is that they're doing. Um, But at the same time, like, I mean, when, when you're, when you're in academics, your work is your life. Like I did, did not have friends outside of academics. I didn't have friends outside of my job. We, we worked and then in the evenings we went and had beers. That's, that's what you do. Um, now it's different because now I kind of want that, that dichotomy between education and, and my life. So tell us, tell us what do you do now? Oh, now I'm doing a full-time research and teaching gig down in southern New Jersey in the Pine Barrens. Shout out Stockton University, baby. Yeah, I never knew about that university until I heard about it and applied to it. Um, yeah, shout it's out. A nice, it's a nice school. So it's in the Pine Barrens. Pine Barrens is South Jersey. It's the largest state park um, in the United States. Um, it's actually really nice. Most people don't know about it. You think of New Jersey and you just think of like the Jersey shore and beaches and, um, you think of a bunch of angry people and Italians, um, (laughs) and traffic. Um, but Southern New Jersey is completely different from Northern New Jersey. Like Southern New Jersey is beautiful, complete woods, forest, you know, you can go hiking, camping, canoeing, backpacking. North Jersey is, well, most of North Jersey is the suburb of New York City. And then North North Jersey is actually the Adirondacks. You're in like really mountainous terrain. So, yeah, it's nice. You're so A little bit different from San Diego, my friend. Yeah, don't worry about me. So you're, you're teaching, what kind of courses are you teaching these little kids? Are these are undergrads? Uh, yeah, these are all undergraduate. I teach, I teach one graduate level course. We have a small graduate program. So it's not a master's or a doctoral program. It's something called a professional master's program. So it's, um, 
Do you get a master's degree? You get a professional master's degree. So it's in a, a traditional master's degree is thesis based. So you do research and you publish papers with an advisor and you take a few classes. That's how it works in science, right? So then in a professional master's degree, instead of doing mostly research, you're taking mostly classes and you do a small research project on the side. And it's, it's a terminal, it's really meant as a terminal degree. So you're not going to go on to a PhD after that. You, you, you're doing it while you're working in the field. Sure, that makes sense. Um, to, get a, to get like a higher salary and stuff. So I teach, I teach one graduate level class in ecosystem ecology, which is, I love teaching that. That's a lot of fun. Um, and then I teach like another class. I teach freshwater ecology, general ecology, introduction to environmental science, um, statistics. What is ecology? Ecology is the study of interactions among organisms. So like, so like if a disease attacks a bunch of humans, that's disease ecology, right? Because it's one organism at, uh, uh, interacting with another. Or if a duck takes a shit on a, on a cow's head, that's, that's interactions. Duck, cow, shit ecology. Are there space ecologists, like uh, ecology of Venus or Mars? Or do you really need to, NASA, is it about NASA. really testing it? Like, sorry to interrupt, is it about testing it in like real life and doing experiments? Or is it like theoretical ecology too? Um, well, so, I mean, there is theoretical ecology, but that's, a, that's sort of a different field by name. Um, NASA does employ ecologists um, to consider habitation on other planets, particularly on Mars. Um, and some of it is theoretical, but a lot of it is kind of biosphere work. How do we do self-contained systems? Some of it is um, how do we grow in really arid environments? How do we recirculate water and nutrients? Um, you know, if you saw, um, what's it called? Um, was it gravity? That kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, like where Matt Damon is kind of trying to grow stuff on the planet. That's that's like space ecology. Dope. What yeah. about, so you were telling me that plants make all the booze, brah. <laughs> yeah, so I also do another course called um, Beverages, Botany, and Booze, where we talk about all the plants that go into making going and making our beverages, not just alcoholic beverages, but all beverages. So, I mean, I love, I just, I, I find, I find it just so fascinating when you go into a liquor store and you're actually walking into a greenhouse, right? You're walking into this beautiful greenhouse where instead of all of the plants growing in soil, all of the plants are just placed into bottles. And I love walking into regular greenhouses, but I also love walking into liquor stores because for, this, for the exact same reason. Like I love seeing all of the plants from all around the world listed on the ingredients. You see like grains from Ireland in um, Irish whiskey. You see 
um, herbs from Madagascar in in um, in like a chartreuse or something. You see all of these crazy things in these bottles, and people have just figured out how to mix and match to make them taste good and to give different flavors. This movement of all these like um, spices and um, herbs, something that grows in one place and then doesn't grow. For example, the beautiful, wonderful potato, a new world plant, um, you know, right? Like it didn't exist in Poland or Russia and we brought it over and, you know, love the potato. This movement of plants and, and stuff around the, our planet, is that like, uh, do you think that's, is that a natural thing that, that is happening? Or do you think that's, I mean, is it, was it always evolutionary for us to do that as we get better at technology basically? Or, or is that messing something up in the planet? Kind of a weird question, but. Well, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a weird question. Uh, like you're asking, is it something that would naturally happen or does it naturally happen? And if it does naturally, and if it doesn't naturally happen, are we messing things up? Yeah, just curious your perspective if you have on, on, on kind of like what's happening today. Cause I mean, you, you're thinking- it's not my perspective. There's, there's plenty of papers that are written on it. Um, and what, what you're talking about is, is the homogenization, like the, the mixing of all of the species on the planet so that, all of the species everywhere are the exact same. Um, and it, it's a thing. It does happen naturally. It just happens at a much, much slower pace than, human, than, than humans make it happen. And because species go extinct naturally too, it would never, I mean, we're never gonna see the same kind of homogenization that humans are bringing forth. Yeah, it's, it's strange because it's debated about whether or not bringing species all over the planet really is bad or not. On one hand, we're losing, bringing, bringing around all of these species is leading to the extinction of local species. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But the question is, why is it a problem? Like, why do we care if species go extinct? Why do we care if we bring in, let's say like, okay, as an example, the number one most invasive species next to humans is the household cat. So this species, we've brought it all over the world and it has caused such environmental damage. About one third of all bird extinctions are estimated to be from cats. Wow, so they just, because they just, they eat all the cats? They, they eat all the birds. Yeah, rather. They eat all the birds. So, it, it seems as though cats are bad, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have to ask the question, is it bad that the birds went extinct? Right? And we are trained to say, oh, it's, yeah, it's bad. We don't want anything to go extinct, but things can go extinct. It's okay. Things always go extinct. And so the question is, well, why, when is it bad if something goes extinct? And that's, that's one of the questions that I like to ask in my research is when is it bad when something goes extinct? 
when should we care if something goes extinct? I don't like to tell my students that we should save all of the species because that's just a myth. That's never gonna happen. We, we can afford to lose some species, but there are some species that are really important. For example, um, like it's been shown that um, um, mosquitoes, for example, Okay. Everybody hates mosquitoes. They would love to see mosquitoes go away. Well, mosquitoes are an important part of the food chain, though. Like, you don't want mosquitoes to go away because they are the base of a food chain and they need to be consumed by a bunch of organisms. And they're like, yeah, but it causes malaria. I said, okay, sure, it causes malaria. But if we got rid of mosquitoes, something else would come in its place. And then what disease is that going to carry? Another example, um, if we got rid of, um, oh, I don't know, if we got rid of sturgeon in the Mississippi, right? Sturgeon, so it's a fish. It's a huge fish, huge fish. Nothing is going to replace it. Nothing is going to replace it. It's, I mean, if we got rid of it and they are, the population numbers are declining, although they have seen recent comebacks. You know, nothing is going to replace it. So getting rid of a species like that is bad. But what if we got rid of species that could be replaced, right? What if we got rid of one fish species, but other fish species could replace it? Okay, no problem. What if one in So you want to maintain that food chain, that ecosystem intact. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think about, I don't think about, the question that you asked about bringing species all across the planet, I don't care about the species. I, I like nature and I love seeing species in their natural habitat. And to me, that's a beautiful thing to see like this rare bird species in the middle of a jungle that can't be seen anywhere else. It's really beautiful. I really appreciate that. Just because I appreciate that doesn't mean that it's worth saving, right? We can appreciate, we can save it because I like it, but that's being a bit selfish. Do we need to save it in order to maintain that system, in order to maintain that ecosystem? Well, that's a, that's a whole other question, right? That's a whole different question, and that requires a lot of research. But ultimately, if humans are going to continue to exist, my personal opinion is that you absolutely need to do that research because humans are replacing other species just by sheer biomass, right? I mean, we, we are occupying places where native species were, and when we come in, something else has to go away. We can't exist on this planet without changing the environment. It's impossible. We are part of the environment. We are going to change the environment. And so the question is, how can we exist sustainably? Which means figuring out which species need to be in a certain place and which species we want to keep if possible but if they disappear we don't need to waste billions of dollars to keep them so the ongoing research i'm assuming is happening in this field to really figure that out like when you look at a freshwater stream or ecology you know what are some things that you're actually looking at um so 
Uh, I mean, when I cheers, when cheers, I do research cheers. on this, cheers. When I do, <laughs> is that an old beer bottle? This is um, actually this is a Hessfest glass, a glass made for Hessfest. Mike Hess Brewery. Mike Hess Brewery. Mike Hess Brewing Hessfest. It was just like that. You buy a something and you get like all these samples of beers. A beer festival. Nice. It's pretty good, you know. Without with the COVID, I don't know how much, how long till we get some of that happening again. Probably a while. Man, I can't wait for the day when I can go back to a bar and just sit at the bar and drink a beer. Oh, it's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna probably happen sooner than you think. Uh, I give it another couple months. Apparently, we're supposed to open up bars here in the next couple of weeks. Oh, really? With some restrictions. So, like, if you're standing, I think you have to have your mask on. But if you're sitting down, you can sit down. Something like that. Take your mask yeah, on. Yeah, that's, that's – I mean, that shit awesome. is going to be really poorly enforced. Yeah. I think we're they're, looking for a little COVID bounce. Go ahead. They're, they're starting around here. They're opening up. So, our town is closing off streets so that restaurants can have open outdoor seating. Okay. Um, so that everybody can socially distance, which I think is a good idea. Um, I, that's, that's probably okay, I guess. I don't know. At least it's not like the Jersey beaches where everybody is on top of each other and their mother. Have you seen the Jersey Shore? Uh, no. The TV show? Do you live uh, on the Jersey Shore right now? No. I do live on the Jersey Shore. So, so technically you are on the Jersey Shore. How close yeah. are you to the beach? 15 minutes. That's awesome. So have you gone to the beach at all? I mean, yeah. We went to the beach like every weekend. When, okay, you go. Uh, you go and you try year. to enjoy it, but you still have yeah, some I issues. Mean, we try to enjoy it, but we try to get away from it. It's like in Sandy Hook Beach, there's like eight parking lots and we always just drive to the eighth parking lot because we don't even want to have to interact with people. That's fair. Most people from most like people from New Jersey don't even go to the Jersey beaches during the tourist season. Why? Because they don't that want sucks. to interact with the with the nasty tourists. I mean, they just, they, it's no, it was a hiccup. They don't, they don't want to interact. Hmm. And I mean, it's the beaches themselves are protected and the areas where you are allowed to go, like you're allowed to go, none of the beaches, none of the beach in New Jersey is privately owned. None of the beach is privately owned. All right, you're not allowed to own any beach front even though i think um a few celebrities have tried the problem is you can't access most of the beachfront unless you walk miles to get there because although the beach itself isn't owned all of the property like next to the beach is owned and right. so there's no access to it so the areas where there actually is access to the beach is pretty limited so as a result, you get thousands, and I'm not even joking, thousands of people flocking to a single part of the beach. And like blankets will be set up five feet from each other. 
It's no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. We, I think the rule in California is beaches are public, but also if you can get to the beach, like if there's like a pathway for you to get there and you live there, there's got to be a pathway for the public to get there somehow as well. So it's kind of, uh, I think it's maybe a little bit better than your rule. That would be nice. That well, would I'm not be totally nice. sure. I know in, in, in Hawaii, for example, there are some beautiful islands that are privately owned, but the beach is still public. It's just state law. So you yeah. can actually take a boat or a paddle or just like a paddle board and go and chill on the beach. And there's a rule, like it's some amount of feet from like the average tide is public of the actual sand. And then, you know, actually some of it is, the rest of it is private. So on, yeah. a, on a high tide, he might be out of luck. All right. Well, so you are a professor. You're teaching young minds about science and ecology and statistics and brewing beer and botany. Um, have, you have you made an impact on anybody so far, do you think? Is that what yeah. you, are those moments special? Is that what you look for? Like, what do you, I know you're, I know you like teaching and educating, but you want people to learn. I know you, you know, I've read that you actually want to develop people's just overall learning ability, which I think is super important. Nah, man, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the thing Tell that me. I, the thing that I really try in education, I, I don't have the expectation that I will change people right away. Like, I don't think that any of my classes are going to be that influential, that they're going to really have this amazing effect on people and they're going to walk away completely changed. You don't think there's some girls who are like, God damn, he's a hunk. I want to go into ecology. I think it could happen. I mean, I, I, I do have some students who have told me that they are going into research because they enjoy, they, they have enjoyed learning ecology with me. Um, but that must I be a fulfilling. That sounds good. Yeah, it's fulfilling, but I don't expect it. And I don't, that's, that's not what I strive for. What I really strive for is I, and I tell my students this, I don't care if you remember anything that I tell you, I don't care if after an exam, you give it all up and I don't give cumulative exams. I don't, I don't care. Like they have to remember stuff. And if they want to just get rid of it after the exam, that's fine. What I want my dream. And I really, I really hope that somebody comes back and tells me this because that's the moment that I will feel truly fulfilled. My dream is five years in the future. They hear something and some memory of something I said pops up in their head. Like, I just want to get in their head. I want to just, I don't want to govern their thoughts, but I, I want to know that something I said stuck with them for a long enough period of time that it has molded who they are. Not has molded their research, not has molded their intellect, but has molded who they are as a person. It's a deep and powerful statement. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, you're looking for real impact, real impact. Well, I, I mean, I, a lot of my colleagues get consumed with exams. They get consumed with assignments. 
I mean, I know that you had professors in college that were like this, where they were such sticklers, where you had to get an assignment in on time or you failed if you missed, you know, this, if you missed Yeah, a... I had that. And I also had professors like you who were really more about like the subject matter and making it interesting and making it kind of stick with you. Right. I mean, I try to be somebody like that, not somebody that if a student comes in and says, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, I can't get the assignment in on time. Can I hand it in tomorrow for, can I hand it in tomorrow? I'm like, sure, I'll knock off a letter grade, but whatever. I mean, I'd rather have you do it. Some student came to me and it was like, I, I'm really sorry. Like I've been going through a lot. And it was two weeks after the deadline and they were like, can I still hand it in? Sure, I'll give you half credit for it. Why not? I mean, I'd rather have you do it than nothing else. Besides, that's not the point. Like the point is not to make you abide by a deadline. The point is to make you learn. The point is to make you think independently and to make you teach yourself. I'm honored. I'm really happy that you're that you still want to do the assignment. What that's about cheating? I don't tolerate you. And do you design your assignments in a way that they're kind of no one can just copy them from each other? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's harder to grade, but I mean, I, but I, 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 I'm at a really good school where you have a lot of really hardworking individuals who aren't really GPA driven. They're more. I mean, they're paying their way through, and so they want a good education. I've had a couple of instances in which I suspected plagiarism or I suspected cheating and, and whatever, like I'll, I'll, I deal with it, but it's really rare. Um, it's, it's really rare. Um, you have been teaching remotely. You were telling me as well. And if you need a break to get a little beverage, you just, you just say you when. No, nah, I'm good, man. Um, man, this is like a pounder and it's high octane. I can't deal with another one. What's a pounder mean? Oh, it's, like it's, a, it's, it's a big, it's a big, big can, yeah. No, 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 no hangovers, no hangovers. <laughs> yeah. So, wait, is there like a herbal medicine for hangovers? Probably. Well, if you can figure that out, you could, you could get really rich. Weed. I mean, that is not. I mean, it's it's helpful, but it's it doesn't cure it. <laughs> um, there's apparently a herbal um, remedy for COVID. Oh, you were saying that, right? What, what is it? I mean, it's not real. Probably. No, I don't think I was saying that. The, um, Madagascar has a, they actually just, um, they, there's a company that's marketing it now. It's an herbal concoction called COVID Blast or something. I can't oh my remember. God, that sounds, uh, sounds well, like I mean, the reason why they're doing it is because apparently Madagascar doesn't have any cases of COVID. That's because no one's there. Well, no, no, there's a lot of people there, but apparently like they're, they all like, there's a, there's a really common drink that they have, which is, um, it's, it's made from, a, I don't know which plant exactly. I know it's an our, um, Artemisia plant it's called. Okay. So Artemisia is a genus of plants. And they're really potent plants. They have a lot of chemical, uh, a lot of chemicals in them. Actually, it turns out that um, Artemisia is uh, one of the plants in Artemisia is wormwood, which is the same plant that is in absinthe. 
And that oh, gives you psychedelic experiences, right? What? That makes you like uh, hallucinate? Or is that, that's not No, real. not at all. It's a myth. It's a complete I, I hate myth. myths. So the history of absinthe is interesting. It was a poor man's drink and no one had it um, until France had a really massive decline in wine one year. And so wine became really expensive. And so a lot of the peasants turned to drinking absinthe. Instead. And remind me, what is that made from? Absinthe? Yeah. So the ingredient that everybody knows is wormwood. Right. Um, but a lot of other ingredients, like there's a whole concoction, six, seven, eight other ingredients. I mean, is it like distilled? Is it like a vodka drink? Let's see. Oh, yeah. So wormwood itself is... Um, I think it's either plum, this a plum distillate or a grape distillate. So it, the base could be brandy, um, but instead of oak barreling it like they do with brandy, mm -hmm. they add flavoring to it and sell it. It says it's derived from botanicals. No, well, so it's it is a botanical. It it's it's steam distilled with botanicals, but the base I don't know what the base is. Here I'll look it up for you. Um, absent. Want to learn on this podcast? This is a podcast about learning, and comedy and having fun. I love learning. Well, it's a good thing you became a professor. Professor Stoller, is that what people call you? Yeah. I tell them not to. Our... Just call me Aaron. Before broaching... Is your dad, like, proud that you became a professor? My dad, I think he's proud, sure. Let's not get into family. That's fair enough. I, I, my first job ever was working for your dad. Yeah. And uh, that's all... And I'll and he's a member of Mensa and he's a really quick typist. That's all I can tell you about that. And uh, we'll save it for the next episode, I guess. That he is. Um, it is not traditionally bottled with added sugar. Absinthe originated in the Canton etymology. Bands. Yeah, man, wormwood. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could make it from wormwood. Just distill it down. It, it could just it could just be like a grain mash. It could just be like a grain distillate, you know? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's alcohol, right? So like anything, it's just alcohol that you got, that you got from distilling something. Um, so you add wormwood to it. And for a very long period of time, they considered absinthe to be a medicine. Mm-hmm because it had wormwood in it. It only was when artists in Paris started drinking wormwood and the temperance movement sort of came about at the same time that they started accusing um, absinthe of being evil. Um, and then there was this guy who wound up killing somebody um, in a drunken spree. Was like a long time ago? This was about a hundred years ago. He wound up killing somebody and um, the temperance movement blamed absinthe for it. And as it turns out, he had absinthe that day, except he 
but he also had nine liters of wine as well. <laughs> Come on! So they didn't blame the wine. They blamed the absinthe. He had a couple shots of absinthe, but he had nine liters of wine. But the temperance movement didn't say anything about the wine. They said that it was the absinthe that made this guy kill somebody. And so since then, every country has banned wormwood because apparently it causes hallucinations and it's dangerous. However, I mean, it's, it sounds crazy that we're making like crazy decisions based on not science. We still are. Yeah. The United States still limits the amount of wormwood in absinthe because of this antiquated idea that it causes hallucinations. Well, straight from Wikipedia, recent studies have shown that absinthe's psychoactive properties have been exaggerated apart from that of the alcohol. Meaning, you know, you get drunk, but that's it, bro. That's it. <laughs> the actual reason why people usually get really drunk or they feel like they hallucinate off of absinthe is because the drink is like something stupid, 75% alcohol or something. Right. Like, it's crazy. So you take a shot of absinthe and you're essentially taking two and a half shots of alcohol. Yeah, crazy. The only country that never banned absinthe and doesn't have any rules is Spain because Spain didn't buy the bullshit. So back to, back to plants, botanicals, wormwood is in the Artemisia genus. Mm -hmm. Wormwood is well known to have medicinal properties. And the plant that is really active in this concoction that's being sold in Madagascar is also an Artemisia plant. I mean, do you... Can we, shouldn't they just do a control study on that? <laughs> like, what sure. are we... Do you think, do you think it's the same just, way they do not... controlled studies on cannabis? Well, they don't. They don't. I mean, I don't know if they even do that. No, they don't. For a couple of reasons. One is you can't do research on humans ethically. All right. So you have to do, you have to just kind of do retrospective studies where you look at people that have and have not consumed. And that gets really tricky. Second, even if I volunteer, like what if I volunteer? It's still unethical. Yeah, it's dangerous. You, first of all, you have to sign all kinds of forms. There's limited amounts that you can do. There's all kinds of rules and regulations. So yes, it's possible, but still no. Second, you can't get, you can't really get humans in the United States to drink concentrated fujone, which is the actual the hallucinogenic, supposed hallucinogenic chemical in absinthe. Right. So, I mean, you can't bring it in. It's, it's illegal, just like cannabis is. Right. So there's that. And then, um, I, yeah, I mean, I just don't know what a controlled study would be in that case. I mean, here's this juice. You give it to a thousand people and you give it to another thousand people. Wait, and then do you give us something that is just... Oh, uh, you're talking you know, about the juice for COVID. Yeah, COVID juice. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's called the gold remedy. I mean, 
to me, it sounds like complete BS, but if it's not BS, there's a pretty easy way to test it, right? I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily BS. I, I think that I think that humans have long forgotten the value of herbal remedies. There is a lot to be said for it. And look, I'm not I'm not the guy that's going to say that you should start taking herbal remedies. I don't think I mean definitely not for COVID. Well, no, I think that I think that there is something to be said about it. I don't think that it's going to cure you, right? Yeah. So here's here's what I teach my students. All right. When you when you hear somebody say that you should take this or that herbal remedy for arthritis or or um, you should take ginkgo to improve your brain or something, right? The reason why it doesn't work is because you haven't changed the rest of your life, right? You haven't increased the amount that you exercise. You haven't changed your diet. When Native Americans do their ceremonies and they they ask you to, that, well, I won't say ceremony, but Native Americans um, give you herbal remedies. They're not giving you a pill with one plant in it. They're giving you a huge concoction of different plants that are all working together. And they're also telling you, they're giving you recommendations for how to change your life. Same thing with Ayurvedic medicine from, from India. They're not telling you that you should take this pill to cure this ailment. They're telling you that your chakra is out of line and you need to change this about your lifestyle. Right? Yeah. So, it's not, you're right. It's not that Westernized curious. medicine has gotten really ingrained in the whole idea of Magic one pill, pill yeah. one pill for one ailment. And that's, we, we've tried to take herbal medicine in the same route. You take this plant for this ailment. That's not how herbal medicine works. You don't take this herb for COVID. That's not how it works. You don't take this herb for dementia. That's not how it works. You take a whole slew of drugs. And, and whole- do other stuff on top of that. Lifestyle changes is what you're saying. Right. It's all about it's all about lifestyle changes. It's all about eating right. You really have to make a commitment to improving yourself, not to taking a pill that will fix it. Did you have dinner already today? You must have. It's pretty late. No, but I had a late lunch. What was for late lunch? Le- um, uh, General Tso's tofu. Homemade? Yeah. Respect. Where do you get yeah. general sauce sauce from? Make it. It's Some really sauce. easy. It's just soy sauce, um, soy sauce, ginger, garlic, uh, a little bit of chili. Are sugar. you plant based now? Uh, my wife What's... is. My wife is, and so for the most part, I only eat vegetables. But whenever I go out, I'll have meat. Got it. Fish. It's protein. it's protein. I mean, listen, I think tastes good. What can I tell here's, you? Here's the thing. All right. I don't support the I don't support mistreating animals. I like sustainable meat. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, most farms, despite what those pamphlets might tell you, most farms on in the U.S. are sustainable. They 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 or they're friendly to their animals, right? They're they're not like hurting them. But here's the thing: hmm. nature provided a, a natural refrigerator for us, right? A deer will eat corn in the springtime and will store that corn in its body in the form of muscle all throughout the winter. It's a wonderful refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, you could take corn during the, during the spring or during the summer and put it into your refrigerator, sure. But I prefer the refrigerator called Cal. I mean, it's real tasty and uh, just tastes real good. What can I tell? I don't know what else to say besides it. That it, tastes it, really good. it is delicious. It is delicious. Anyways, dude, I could go on and on and on about the botanicals. Well, this is what we're here for, man. We're going to edit to the good parts. So we want as much content as possible. You tell me when you're done. Um, <laughs> botanical. So botanical is literally just means something based on a plant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, tell me about people, more cool botanicals. When people talk about botanicals and alcohol, they're usually referring to taking grain alcohol and adding herbs to it to give it flavor. For example, chartreuse has somewhere around 30 different botanicals. Um, control has- Tonic, uh, I, mean, I think, or oh, gin rather, gin. I'm thinking gin has a ton of botanicals. Gin usually has somewhere around 20 or so botanicals in it. Um, and that most means people separate those... plants. Is that what it means? Separate yes. plants. Or separate parts of plants, yes. So if I have the root of a grass and the leaf of a grass, those two different botanicals? I mean, it. Uh, I don't know how they would define it. I don't know how they would define it. You know, there's like uh, in the Tundra, they make alcohol from like uh, deer milk or some sort of milk. They ferment milk to make Kumis. it into enough. Huh? Kumis. That's Genghis Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the most, so all throughout um, the Genghis range, reign of, um, of Asia, one of the most preferred drinks was fermented mare's milk, fermented horse milk. Exactly. There you go. Hummus. Yeah. Um, so is that the? I'm just thinking. That's not. Is that that's an alcohol not made from? No. Yeah, that's plants. an alcohol that's not made from plants. It's one of the few alcohols that are not made from plants. Isn't it cool that I know that? That's all. That is actually really cool. Most people don't know that, actually. Um, so it, it actually turns out, so kumis replaced, um, replaced tea because the Khan family took over China and Japan just when tea was getting um, off the ground. Tea took a back seat. Tea would have been introduced much earlier had it not been for the Khan reign of, of Asia because um, tea was viewed as um, 
Chinese, Chinese and bad. Interesting. And bad. So instead, people started drinking kumis. Oh, you were asking about um, whether or not a plant, what botanical has to be two different plants. That's a little bit difficult to say. For example, kale. So kale, broccoli, uh, Swiss chard. Um, what do you call it? Um, Brussels sprouts mm -hmm. are all the exact same plant. Um, it's all brassicacea. It's all one single species in well, the brassicaceae. Cabbage or whatever, right? Yeah, oh, and cabbage, right? So it's all the same plant. It's just bred slightly differently. So it's a little difficult to tell what is one versus another plant sometimes. I see. Um, but yeah, I mean, botanicals really just refers to plants that you add to give any alcohol flavor. And we have been doing this for a very long time. Distillation is only invented um, in the past 500 years. But well before then, we've been figuring out how to ferment various types of plants. For example, in, in Africa, there is one country where um, the most common drink is actually fermented banana juice. Um, so they step on bananas to extract the juice and then they make um, a, a slightly alcoholic drink. I forget what it's called, banana beer. Wow. I mean, yeah, we're trying, we'll do whatever it takes to, to get a little tipsy, like humans are notorious. Anyways, I mean, anything that has sugar, I mean, I've heard of grass wine, tomato wine, onion wine, rhubarb wine, anything that has sugar, man, you can ferment. Mysterious world of banana beer, a true moonshine, basically moonshine. I mean, yeah, you're just fermenting whatever you can that exactly has sugar. And you, but you have to add yeast to it. So you've been making beer. Are you adding like specific yeast to it? Yeah. So, uh, in modern times, we figured out strains of yeast that are useful for making beer, but we only actually figured out what yeast is in the past hundred years. So we've been brewing for 10,000 years, but we only figured out what makes the alcohol in the past hundred years. Okay. So, um, for most of history, they never added yeast to it. The fermentation was just natural. Or they would add a little bit of the previous batch to the next batch. Mm -hmm. In fact, in some African countries, um, a traditional gift to a newlywed couple is a, a log. It's like a, a stick that's been sitting in the bottom of a fermentation vat that you give to a family because that stick contains the yeast right. that will jumpstart the next fermentation. Um, uh, That's amazing. And there's, so if you've ever heard of um, lambic beers, yeah. um, lambic beers, true lambic beers are only made in one brewery in lambic, I think it's Germany. Um, and the reason why it has to be made there is because they don't actually add yeast to the beer. The yeast that ferments lambic beer is naturally occurring in the wooden rafters of that brewery. 
and it has Impressive. to be glued there. I love stuff like that. I love when uh, like artisan things that you can't really recreate. Well, I mean, they try to, and if you got yourself some lambic beer, you could actually recreate it because some of the yeast is still alive in that lambic beer. Mm. But for the most part, we have we have not known what does it. We thought it was like, in fact, a lot of a lot of traditional ceremonies from from indigenous tribes. Um, they uh, they have a whole ceremony surrounding. Uh, the brewing of alcoholic beverages because they assume that you have to encourage the good spirits because that's what makes alcohol happen. They didn't know what yeast, they don't know what yeast is. Right. They just know that it. you mix all this stuff in, you let it sit, and if you're kind to it, it creates alcohol. That's all. Yeah, Lambic's so, actually from Belgium, and I've had a Gouget before, and that seems like it's a mix of a couple of Lambics together. What is it called? Gouget, G-U-E-U-Z-E, Gish, Gish. Not a Gouge, but a Gish. Oh, I don't know. Apparently, it's made by blending young one- and two- and three-year-old Lambics and then bottled for a second fermentation. Oh, that's cool. We're learning stuff, not to be confused with gauche. Um, Very huh. different from goze beer, which is your sour type beer, which is disgusting. I hate big sour, sour beer guy? I hate sours so much. Not Why? out of principle. I hate the taste of it. You just don't like it. I mean, you're allowed to I just don't like it. it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's actually really fascinating. So, like, I, like, sour beers are brewed with a whole different type of, of, um, uh, organism so it's actually brewed with bretomyces yeast instead of the cerveciae yeast right um, and it's usually done um it can be done controlled a lot of times it's done open fermentation where they just open it and allow natural um yeast to to ferment it mm -hmm. um it the the bretomyces leaves behind this very acid taste that gives it that sour flavor and i hate it I hate it so much. Yeah, they call it yeah. bready. I mean, yeah, you can have it. Uh, some ciders that also kind of taste like that. I'm actually okay. I, I like the ciders. I don't like it when it's super sour, but people don't care about me. Yeah, people do care about you. What you talking about? Whoa, 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 whoa! What you talking about, Willis? What you talking Pavel, about, these, Willis? Pavel, this is these podcasts are your opportunity to be the comedic self that you are. I, I am, I am, I, 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 that's right, baby. I mean, this, this is my outlet. Don't focus on, don't just focus on me. Feel free to ridicule and insult me and make fun. And, <laughs> well, and... for fun. Yeah, for sure. We'll get there. Don't worry. I remember, so like one of my memories from high school, we went to high school together, is watching um, Blazing Saddles in your basement. And you're like, you never saw Blazing Saddles? I'm like, no, what is this movie? And I started watching it. And, 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 and I'll be honest with you. Like, when I watched it in high school, I still didn't get it. <laughs> like, it was only after watching it later as I grew up that I really understood the brilliance of that movie. And that movie is brilliant. I, but I was like, why is that guy talking? Why is the Indian talking in Yiddish to the black cop? What the fuck is going on here? I'm like, what? It's, it, it's just, uh, what's his name? Mel Brooks. Uh, yeah, Mel Brooks is Mel, amazing. It's Mel 
This is Mel Brooks? Yeah, it's just Mel Brooks, man. The genius of Mel Brooks. Yeah, I, I thought that was amazing. And Man, uh, he is... He's a funny guy. Still alive, actually. Still kicking. He is still alive. Man, I... I... He's really old. He's super old. An old Jewish he's guy. used so much stuff. I just... I don't think... I don't know that Blazing Saddles was necessarily, like, his best thing. I just love Blazing Saddles because I associate with the with the Yiddish parts of it. It's, I think it's, it's just a, funny. It was funny. I also really, really appreciate it whenever anybody brings race to the forefront. Right. Like, I love it whenever people just openly talk about things that people think are taboo because I hate when people think things are taboo. Do you think nothing is taboo? I think everything can be talked about in the right context. And I mean, if, if anybody actually, you know, if, if anybody wants a good way to train their brain, if you're driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off, your first instinct is to criticize them. Your mm -hmm. first instinct is to criticize them. You have to train yourself to think Maybe they just didn't see you. Maybe it was an accident and maybe they feel bad. Right? You do it too. Occasionally we all make mistakes and maybe this person just made a mistake. There's a good chance that that person didn't make a mistake. But why is it that we have to jump? The first thing that we think is not maybe that person made a mistake. Why is it that the first thing we always think is that that person is a fucking douchebag? Yeah, it's. I think you have Why to is train that your mind. Always jump to the negative first instead of jumping to the positive. David Foster Wallace had a great essay called This Is Water, right? Where he suggested that a fish has no clue what water is until mm -hmm. that fish is taken out of the water. You have no idea what is in front of your eyes until you are taken out of that situation. You're standing in line at the grocery store and you see a person who is checking out 50 cans of cat food and you're just pissed at that person for wasting your time but you don't think about maybe that person just lost their husband and the cat is all that they have, right? Why is it that we have to jump to the negative thing? Why is it that we have to criticize before anything else? Do you think that's a normal human reaction? It absolutely is a normal human reaction. It's what we do instinctually. That doesn't mean that it's what we have to do. It means what, that's what we have to overcome to be better people. It must be like a biological, old evolutionary survival thing. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to think of ourselves as the best is a mode of self-survival. Mm -hmm. But as we increase our herd mentality, as we increase civilization and the size of our population that herd mentality no longer works i'll give you another example of something that doesn't work and lead back into this 
anxiety. Mm -hmm. In the African jungles and in the African savanna, anxiety is actually a really good trait to have. To think that you are always about to be attacked by something right. keeps you alive. Right. Well, anxiety right now, in walking down the streets of Manhattan, isn't good, right? right? Because it makes you hyper aware. It makes you too self-conscious. It makes you think that everybody is out to attack you. And so it winds up debilitating a lot of us to the point where we cannot socially function because we are hyper aware. It doesn't mean that anxiety is wrong. It just means that it's no longer useful in the context of human civilization that we have now. And in the same way, jumping to the negative, thinking critically about everyone around us and assuming that everyone around us is out to get us, keeps us alive in our natural state. But we are not in our natural state anymore. We are in a larger population where we are being required to interact with everybody around us. We are being stacked upon layer upon layer upon layer in housing developments. We are being forced to communicate one-on-one -on -one in cubicles that are right next to each other. We are being forced to interact in overpacked classrooms. That anxiety and that initial assumption to assume that everybody is out to get us no longer works. And we uh, really for sure need not. to get rid of it. Do you have advice on how to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to just understand it first. You have to come to grips with this is the reality that we have. And it's not a bad thing. But the minute that you think those thoughts, you have to train yourself to think differently. The same way that you get out of biting your nails, the same way that you get out of any bad habit, you simply have to just train yourself. And it's a long process. It takes decades. Right. It's not something that's going to happen instantaneously, but you need to start somewhere and you need to teach your children to stop doing it as well. Your children are going to do it. There is no such thing as training a child to be colorblind. That's bullshit, right? No child is going to be colorblind. A child is going to understand that a, sorry, I mean colorblind is in, learning the difference between blacks and whites. There are children that are definitely genetically. Well, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so to be like, to, to, train, to, to train your child that there is no difference between blacks and whites is bullshit. There's definitely a difference between black and white people. It's called skin color. The difference is in how you train your children to respond to different behaviors mm -hmm. between black and white children to not encourage them to think that this is different from your behavior, thus it's wrong. Just encourage them to say it's different from your behavior, period. It's just different from your behavior. Your behavior is no better than others. And your child will definitely want to think that their behavior is better. It's natural, no problem. 
just encourage them to say, you know what, they're no better than you. Fight against that at every turn. Are you gonna have kids? Hell no. I mean, it's valid. I'm too selfish, man. I want to go on a trip to Europe and not deal with a screaming child. I mean, you can go now and have a screaming child later. No, I. It's not because of that. I actually love children. I love. I love um, seeing children interact with other children. I love watching children develop. I just. I think that we have too many people on this planet and I don't have enough of an instinct to want children of my own. Um, I would much rather, I would much rather help other people develop their children into high functioning adults than spend time on my children. And it's, it's not, it's not because I'm good natured or anything. It's because I just don't have the instinct to have. Yeah, you don't have that urge, which is fair. Um, Pablo Cast has a special segment called Hot Tips. It's time for Hot Tips. It's time for Hot Tips. Hot Tips brought to you by Data Pablo. Um, you get, so basically you can give any tip you want. It could be, oh, this sandwich is delicious or watch this movie or you know read this book or do this i mean you gave a, we, we've been talking a lot about how better our our lives so i mean people can definitely understand where we're coming from there but yeah any any tip you want well, and as many tip, as you want any tip i want up to any, five any, 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 <laughs> up to five okay first tip this is the best ipa sip of sunshine made with citra hops if you want a good time, get yourself some Sip of Sunshine. Where is this made? Where is this brewed? Lawson's Sip of Sunshine. Uh, Lawson's He's... is brewed in Stratford, Connecticut at Two Roads Brewing. Wow. Okay. So maybe people can get that online. And you've tried other IPAs. Oh, I've made IPAs, my friend. Yeah. So, But I've this one still stands. I've tried to replicate this. Now, the second runner-up to this beer might be Zombie Dust. Mm-hmm. All right? This beer is better. Sip All right? Sunshine. All right. Second pro tip. Give it to me. Second pro tip. Stop judging people. I know. It's so hard. Stop judging yourself, too. Maybe start there. Man, every single time I think about it, Right, so I know I'm. I've got I've got pounds on me. I've got I'm, I'm, I'm overweight, right? Okay. And every single time, like I have been spending 34 years of my life trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight, and I swear to God, like every tenth thought in my brain is I gotta lose weight. I gotta lose weight, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm probably gonna spend that way until I die, and I'm never gonna lose weight. And here I'm thinking to myself, what would happen? How much further could I be if I stopped thinking every 10 thoughts that I should lose weight and instead thought something else every 10 thoughts? And a powerful, powerful statement there. Um, Man, I don't know. I don't know. I think I could be a rocket scientist. <laughs> Second PhD coming on up. Yeah. So the other thing I'm going to have on the show, and 
it's been a while since I brought it back, but maybe we can take a quick trip somewhere. I have a special machine uh, Elon Musk is letting me borrow. And so I just load it up here with a little liquid. Basically, it's a transfer. It's a transformation, teleportation experience brought to you by Elon Musk. Um, it's a secret device, obviously, but we're buddies. It's all good. And so, like, um, I meant me and Elon are buddies. I mean, you and me are buddies, too. But um, point being, if you can tell me a place, um, we can use your memories to travel there. Can we travel to a place before Elon Musk was born? Because he's kind of a douche. We can. Why, why, why is he a douche? Because he's just, he's been saying some really racist, shitty things lately. He does say a lot of outlandish stuff, but he is getting us to space. Uh, Not single-handedly, but... All right, so a place, a place, a place that, can it be in the future? It can be any time, but really it's going to rely on your description to really get us there, so... If you haven't been there, it might be tough. Any place I want to go to... Does any it have place to be you've shared? been? Any place I've been? Yeah, how about that? <sighs> All right, I want to be in the catacombs of Paris. Wow, so this is kind of dark and damp. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, it's dark and damp, and there's skulls everywhere and bones everywhere, and it's so super cool that I'm underneath of an entire city, and there's no city around me because it's all just ancient grave sites. Does it smell bad? No. That's amazing, too, because they created vents when they made all of this stuff, and so there's it does it, there's like a draft down there you literally have to go down several flights of stairs beneath the city and then you walk through the city and so what happened i don't know if you know the history of the catacombs i'd like to hear it so in paris when they were expanding um they had they had no room so what they did was they um as they expanded they inevitably came upon graveyards mm-hmm and instead of just discarding the bones because that would be sacrilegious they took up the bones from the graveyards and they put them into the mines beneath the city that they used to extract all of the stone to build the city with okay so they put all of those bones underneath the city however there were so many bones they didn't put markers for all of the bones Mm -hmm. to tell who was who they just lined the walls of the catacombs as a as a um as a memory as a Mm -hmm. memoriam of all of these people they lined the walls with bones now a few people got special privileges right so a few really important people they kept the, the grave markers um, and they transported the grave markers, and they said, here lies this person. But okay. all of the peasants and everything, of course, they just put the bones there. And when I was walking through it, um, it was just so, it was creepy, yes, but it was also just so peaceful that I, literally I, I started on one end of the city, and I ended up, after walking a couple miles underground through the catacombs on a totally different end of the city, and 
I didn't think that all of these bones were real. I thought this was a tourist trap yeah. until we caught back up to city level. We had to walk upstairs to city, city level. We got back up and there was a guard checking people's backpacks to make sure that they uh, didn't take bones. And I looked at the stuff that he confiscated. People literally took skulls and bones from the wall. I, mean, I guess it's kind of cool, but it's weird. Um, are they open for tourists all the time? Well, probably not right now, but yes. But it's for tourists, meaning like people don't walk there when it's raining out. You know what I mean? It's not really, I mean, you were walked through, it, there's no one there, so I don't, it's not really used as pedestrian walkways. Oh, no. Although it used to be, um, it, uh, well, I don't know pedestrian walkways. It, it, they actually, the, so the, the catacombs are so um, sinuous, they go every single which way, that there are stories of people getting lost in the catacombs. Mm -hmm. So if you walk down there, there's a guided pathway for you to go, but you can easily kind of meander off if you don't follow the signs and get lost. And it actually used to be that there were secret hidden parties. Right underground in the catacombs um that spe people with special privileges would have um and drunk people would kind of wander off and get lost and just spend days on underneath the city of paris looking for a way out pretty crazy well wow. i think it's really cool it is pretty cool let's go back home now Boom. all right that was fun that was a um, really fast return trip well, this is a teleportation technology brought to you by Elon Musk, even though you don't like what he's saying. You know, I like his technology. Teslas are pretty cool. That stock is going bonkers, too. I wonder how high it can go. Um, well, this has been a great show. We learned a lot. Um, Aaron Brian Stoller, thank you so much. Of course, Pavel. What's your middle name? Do you have a middle name? Yeah, it's it's a it's a um, it's what's called a paternal name. In Russian, it's called a ochista. Basically, you know, in Hebrew, you know how we go like Ben. You know, you'd be like uh, Aaron Ben Wayne, <laughs> and I would be Pavel Lvovich. So my dad's name is Lev, and so it becomes Lvovich. Lvovich Tsitlovsky. Pavel Lvovich. <laughs> Sitlovsky. Damn, son. Hey, that's a pretty good. You you know you you know how to say my last name. Uh, well, yeah, I know how to say your last name. Sitlovsky. Yeah, I'm saying you're saying it pretty well. It's, I'm impressed. How should I say it? I mean, you're saying it well. You, some people. How do don't other say people it. say it? They struggle to even get the TS out. They're like, uh, say, 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 Yeah, that's, that's what I, I always say. That's good enough. <laughs> I appreciate the effort. You can call me Paul. <laughs> T is in Tom, S is in Sam, E. Uh, isn't that cool? Why is in yellow? T is in Tom, was in line. Dude, I, how do you know that piece? I always used to do that. I have to spell it. Oh, because I have to. I do it with my last name all the time because everybody misspells my last name. Um, what do they think it is? 
they, everybody thinks there's either an H in it, so they go S-T-O-H-L-E-R, or they think that there's two L's, S-T-O-L-L-E-R. Or an A, I'm the maybe. only Stoller I know. So I don't know how that What about, that like, Led Stoller, the car dealer? He's my cousin. <laughs> He's got that car dealership money in the family. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Pavel. Live, 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 live. Thanks for the show. Recording over.